Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their start in the industry, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote. Which in this case is Europa Ulavasis, or Ulavasis, can I say that word properly, 4, and its recently released expansion, Conquest of Paradise by Paradox. So we have Johan Anderson as a producer, I believe, am I right? Uh, well, I have plenty of hats. <laughs> uh, so introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, I'm Johan. Uh, I've been in the industry for almost 20 years now. Sometimes in July, I'll do my 20 years in the game industry celebration dance and have a pint or two. Uh, but uh, I've started as a programmer and been designer, producer, etc. And my current title is studio manager. But I still do lots of designing work and programming work. And uh, the studio's name is Paradox Development Studio. So you said you've been working for over 20 years. How, how, did, you, how did you really kick off? you expand on, on that? How did you start? Was it way when you were very, very young and were yeah. you fiddling around with things that you really shouldn't have done? No, I was playing around with on my Amiga while I was a teenager, programming quite a lot, doing demos, if anyone remember those things. I you do. Know. Yes, there was one that I kept on listening to because it was just amazing. Mm. Uh, the stuff we could do, with, or you can still can do with Amigas, was you know just stunning. Um, so you, that, that's how you, you got your start, is um, doing. Yeah, that. I, I made it for fun, and then I heard, and I, I thought like school was boring. So when I was <laughs> nineteen, I did, I started at university, but it was like, nah, this isn't really me. And I sent a application, handwritten letter, and a disc with my code on to a software or game developer in Norway and for some weird reason they wanted to hire me which which company was that and that, that was Funcom in <gasps> Funcom wow and they're still knocking around of course aren't they doing yeah. all sorts of uh, MMO stuff can you yeah. tell us what you worked on there and just... yeah I worked on quite a lot of console games there uh, right. for What's the, what's the name of it in Europe? Genesis, Mega Drive, the Sega one? It is, it is Mega Drive, yeah. So yeah, Mega, it's, Mega it's, Drive stuff, which is kind of aligned to Amiga stuff. I mean, same sort of power, isn't it? Yeah, it was the same um, uh, processor. So, so yes, it's it's programmer. Yeah. Also worked a little bit on the Super Nintendo, but not that much. That's and, a different um, beast entirely, though, isn't it? That, that the yeah. Snares. Yeah. But uh, happy times. Uh, personally, I never really got involved with the console stuff. I was very much an Amiga nut. And I had an ST as well. Um, so I had both of those rocking. But I didn't really get into consoles. I I had a Master System that got burnt by it because I thought it was going to be... I thought I was going to have, like, arcade outrun but i didn't i had this junk because uh, i was an ignorant 16 year old i didn't know any better uh, <laughs> but um that's cool so that's that's a big sort of um history there of you working on a 6800 and then you yeah. working your way up so it was it definitely programming you were doing there yeah i was doing programming and then in 97 i was like okay i want to go back to sweden and i find that there's this uh, company starting up making once that's doing wanting to do a statue game called Joe Persolis. Um, yes. I, and I went like, okay, I want to work on that one. Mm. Um, 
basically I'm hired and I'm one of the founders of that and I worked there since January 98. And I started as a senior programmer and started designing after a year or so and it just kept on going. So yes, I mean, Europa Universalis is, uh, it's been going on since, um, like you say, 98, since its fourth incarnation now and it's been evolving over time. Uh, have you always been drawn to those grand strategy games like Civ? Because Civ was on the Amiga as, as well, wasn't it? Was it? Is it yeah. something you, is that you've always been drawn to? I liked it. It was it was one of like the four types of games I really really enjoyed as a youngster. I liked playing Civilization and strategy games, but of course I was also a lot into football games and uh, and all these like open world uh, games like Elite and Pirates, but. Yeah, my, well, my personal favourite is Elite, um, which, again, leads us to my third question to you, is, is what is your, personally, I mean, you've been working on this game for so long, so I really guess what your, what your influences really have been over all these years. What do you think is the, is the thing you keep on latching onto that makes you keep going? Uh, playing as a game or a game or what, uh, what do you mean? I just what, as a creator of games... What influences yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things. It could be anything from books to other games to like nice conversations at the pub with mates. Yeah. It's, I get inspiration from a lot of things. And that's the best way to do it. Rather than say I'm only focusing on one particular author or one particular thing, it's actually anything. It could be anything from the color of a piece of soap in the shower to um, you reading something about the history of how coffee was grown. It could be anything. It could be yeah. anything. And, you know, I find one of the things that draws me to the um, Europa games is really the fact that you can create these alternate, like, what-ifs. And is that, do you think a lot of the users are coming back to that? Is that all the, all the what-if stuff? Like, what if I could actually grow Austria into this vast <laughs> empire that takes over the whole of Europe, what have you? Yeah, that could that could probably be it. I mean, yeah. that's part of what I'm playing. Why I'm playing these games myself is because I want to change history. Yeah. So, the next question is, what uh, if anyone do you admire? It could be a company or a person within the industry. Who do you uh, like? Think, wow. This is an easy. Way. <laughs> I'm I'm blaming them. I'm admiring them, and I'm blaming them for wasting too or spending too much time. Uh, I have about two hundred fifty. When I when I log on into World of Warcraft, I and I type slash played. I have about two hundred fifty days on my main character, <laughs> and, and I haven't really played that much in the last three years. No, Blizzard said. So yeah. you're pointing at Blizzard. Just generally, what all of their works? Ah, uh, well. Even Rock and I, Roll Racing. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. Nah. <laughs> not really. I mean, no. I, I started with Warcraft 1, and I really liked the Warcraft games. Yeah. I didn't really. Starcraft was okay. I didn't really like Starcraft 2. Diablo was most fun at Diablo 1, but mm. I, I'm a Warcraft person, I guess. Yeah, I, I loved World of Warcraft. One of my uh, favorite memories uh, of gaming period, you know, the, the, just gaming generally, my favorite memories is taking down Nefarian with 39 oh. other people 
That was yeah, in the days. Fun. It was just amazing. And uh, I'll share a little story. The uh, the main tank it yeah. was uh, it was Swedish. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And uh, but the uh, the raid leader, yeah. Danish. <laughs> so he kept on yelling his horrible insults <laughs> at yeah. him. And it was sort of like. Why are we as British people are like? Why is he getting so angry? So I have no idea. There was this conflict between these two nations, uh, but yeah, that he would say things. It would be. It was all in English. It was. It was. It was a mix of Scandinavian and English, and all sorts of people from, which is common in World Warcraft. You know, the English yeah. servers. It was just like all mix of sorts. All sorts of people. And it, had this, and it was extraordinary. This 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 abuse that he was being. But he, you know, he was the main tank. I mean. That was his job. <laughs> his job was to maintain that he was not going to die. Um, speaking personally, I was a priest, um, played as a priest. So reading, leading raids from the rear was never, never, never fun. Not as yeah. a priest. What, what, what class did you generally play as? Uh, I started as a paladin, and I played okay. a paladin for the most of the time. Wow. I was, a, I was a tank after the original. I used to tank, like main tank, the boss kills but i also liked playing my priest i i remember leveling up a dwarf priest just for us to be able to do nefarian and onyxia easier yeah because they're they had to have that certain uh, racial trait yeah it was just it was so much fun um just that that big dance that huge dance that and we would slam ourselves up against that wall week after week after week to try and take him down when we finally did it was yeah. yeah yeah, that's great. Yeah, but, but you know, I actually stopped playing him because we ran out of content. <laughs> we run out. We we got to the point where the, the guild we reached the zenith, and we'd run out of content. Like I got yeah. nothing else to do. We weren't bored. It was just like run out, and we had to wait for the next expansion. And it yeah. was, you know, walked out and dissipated, and we went off to play other things. I guess I can't remember what I went off to play. I think it might have been Battlefield Three or something, or Two or something. I don't know. Yeah, but um, fun times, and I empathise with you. I think World of Warcraft is one of the things that also love about that game is the fact that you can get on top of a hill, look across to the horizon, and know you can run to that horizon without a single loading screen. Yeah, that was a brilliant, uh... brilliant, brilliant, and no other MMO figured that out. You've seen so many MMOs. I'm sure you've seen it as well. And like, looks great. And you go, yeah, but I wonder how small that box is. Because you walk out and then there's a loading screen. Or it just becomes, they don't seem to understand the importance of knowing where you are in a, a world. And a seamless world. Yeah, it's seamless. And no one else figured that out. No one else understood how important that was. And I've always said this to MMO developers, do you know why that's important, don't you? And they, they seem to think visuals are more important than... You know, as much as I love Guild Wars 2, it's a good game. It really is a very good game. It still suffers from that, where am I? I don't know. <laughs> you know, they give you a map, but it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same as getting on top of a mountain and going, I can run to there without a single loading screen. Yeah. It's important. So, well, thanks for, for, for sharing on, uh, a little bit about yourself and where you come from, what you're doing. So let's move on now to the second half where we talk about Europa, New Barcelos. Yeah. And conquest of paradise. Yeah. 
So, sir, tell us, give us the pitch. Describe this extraordinary fast game, which has uh, been out since August 2013, isn't it? Yeah, and to be honest, I don't really remember which date we released the game on. It was in August, I remember, but I don't remember the exact date. According to Wikipedia, I think it's the 23rd, something like that. It's got to be right, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was in August, that I know. Yeah, this is quite interesting because I first encountered the game uh, back in uh, August of 2012 at Gamescom. Yeah, I was there, um, and that was that was really good um, to to see that expand and and just be just the, the demonstration given there was. Did, even did, I, did I demo the game to you, or was it Thomas that did? Or? I do not know. I have to check the business cards and my records on it, but uh, I, I I can't remember. I, yeah. I I just know I delegated most of the demonstration to Thomas as the project leader because. Yeah. I've done so many presentations in my time, so I was like, if someone else can do it, and I can sit on the couch and sipping on a drink, that's what... Yeah, they do feed on what... It's the 13th of August, so I misread it. It's the 13th, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do... It was a fond memory. I actually did the preview of it, um, which I can link you at the end if you can remember, but uh, I was really, really impressed by it. But, uh, yes, give us the pitch. What, what is the game? For, for those who don't know, assume yeah. uh, The elevator pitch is... Uh, Your Persolis 4 is a game where you play as a country through history at the start of the modern era, about 1444. And that's hard to say because the 444, yeah, anyway, (laughs) uh, until the end of the Napoleonic era. And you basically take your country, uh, managing it through religious, economical, military, diplomatic, and other aspects, and try to make your country as powerful as possible. And the entire world is there. And this Conquest of Paradise, I want to talk about expansion as well, because it's, it's important. What does that do? Uh, what is yeah. it? The, the quick uh, explanation is uh, there's, it adds quite a lot of things to the game. Uh, the three major things in what Conquest of Paradise does is, first of all, it uh, enables a thing called, or that we call Random New World. Because when you're playing your Souls, you're playing on a, a map of the world, which means that you know that there is this empty continent called North America and South America there, and you know that there is well, uh, empties relatively speaking, but yeah, yeah, but still, it's <laughs> like uh, it's easy to take, and you know there's tobacco there, you know there's gold there, yeah. you know there's a big. Uh, jungle there and there's these rich sugar-filled islands there um but with the random new world you basically have the options that you don't really know what's out there you explore it's kind of like uh, you know civilization and that you don't know what what's out there you have to go around explore and compete with others so that's a so we have a map generator system which is the first for our games ever Okay, um, so Europe, the continent of Europe is always the same. Yeah. But now the New World is another form, is that what you're saying? Or, or it's I... completely random. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. So you have this different landmass that can appear at any time. Or any, well, not any time. It's, gonna, it's always there. But when you generate the, the world for, for the first time with this expansion, you could land on anything. Yeah, it could be like... Uh, 
eight different islands and then like uh, uh, or uh, just a large snaky continent or it's so many different things this is a bit of a nerdy sort of like geological thing is it how have you gen how is it generated is it like making sense or is it just like oh no we just went crazy because this is a game for no, us. It's, it's kind of makes sense but it's not like it's not uh, what's it called what's the name of the word in english when there's that creates continental drift it's not plate tectonics and no, proper no. thing and i mean there was the, the there was the vast continent wasn't it pangaea wasn't it was it that yeah. vast one and, continent yeah yeah and it's not the proper um uh simulation of what the world would be because if you change a little thing in america like then you would change completely how the world would be and there's not really uh would there really be a a, a humans even yeah it's that's right it's uh there's only so much you can do mess around and there's so many what ifs but uh yeah that's really it's really interesting that you've done that because in the original game i understand that so what happens to the the existing races? You can, you can play as Aztecs and stuff in in yeah. the original four. So how does that work now? Uh, if you're playing normal, because mm. there's an option to play random new random new world. Yeah. Um, we added quite a lot of new. Uh, I don't know what's the proper word. Native American. It's probably yeah. Yeah. Uh, tribes and nations because mm-hmm. we only had about seven or eight at the start. So now we have all. Like new ones like Comanche and Sioux and Apache and uh, other more or less known like Miami and Pueblo and Lenape and so on. Um, so and that brings us to the second major feature uh, of the expansion, and that's um, what do we call uh, the native mechanics? Because previously the natives basically worked like. Europeans with uh, slower tech rates and working like feudal monarchies and all those things. So they had like no really no f- special flavor. And they were yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's more complex than that, isn't it? It's much more complex than that. Their their yes. their makeup is very different to how how Europe rose. So you sorry, I interrupted. You. Carry on. Yeah. So we have. Um, uh, <coughs> sorry. Um, so we added a bunch of new features like uh, native tribes when they're very small they can migrate around the map and gain power for that so basically move to a new place gain a bunch of monarch points they can spend on things uh, wait a while uh, then move to another like a nomadic lifestyle right yeah that makes more sense. Yeah, and also we changed the stuff because there were not that much about like conquering land in North America. It was no. more about like fighting wars for honor. So you do that and gain even more points you can spend on other things. Okay. Uh, finally, uh, no, not finally. We also have, uh, since they are not using really the tech system, because that would not be very balanced, they have their own native advancement track that they could keep investing in. Okay. Um, also, they have the system of federations where different tribes can unite in a defensive alliance, primarily against the uh, European invaders. Yeah. So, so what do you do when the European invaders come? Um, if you have uh, consolidated and have a nice little realm of 
natives are like a proto-nation and have done all the advancements. Yeah. When, the, when the Europeans come and they are neighbors to you, you can reform your government. Then you basically become like a pseudo thing where you have uh, still have the worst technology group, but you get lots more technologies very, very quickly and you lose all your native bonuses, but you get access to uh, European government forms and you can start on a westernization track. But during that time period, you're slightly more vulnerable, but you can adapt and become like the Iroquois and the Cherokee did and uh, almost Western style nation. Yes. So that's, that could change things entirely. I mean, that's be quite a challenge to actually play them because you have to think in a very different way. But uh, how yeah. has that gone over in playtesting? How has that worked? Is it something that uh, people have been very successful at, actually building a significant, powerful nation? Yeah, well, it, you're never really going to rival a large European colonial power, but there's been quite a lot of uh, people that actually managed to survive and have a thriving nation. So you've carved out a huge sort of wedge out of what would normally be United States of America. Turns out yeah. not to be. <laughs> That's interesting. Really interesting. Um, so was that always the plan for to make this expansion? Uh, we didn't really have a, a super detailed plan for what right. everything is going to be. So this is something we designed uh, during the last weeks with around release. Right. Wow. So you turned it down really quickly then, isn't it? a year? Well, yeah, well, year. the ex- yeah. expansion took about three months to do or something. That's really good. So um, the next question is really about going back to the core of the game. And I just want to ask you, it's probably a silly question, but there isn't, there's just sort of really give you a chance to expand on, on the game itself. Why 1444? Oh, Why because- then? Uh, because uh, the, easiest, the easiest choice would have been to, to pick 1453. Right. Because that's after the fall of Constantinople, uh, mm-hmm. and that's really the turning point and the differentiation of uh, the, the modern, more modern era and, and the pre-medieval one. But yeah. we have a lot of fans that love to play it as the Byzantine Empire. Um, at 1444, they have they still exist, and there's a little, little chance of them being playable. And 1444 is just after the Last Crusade, have has, which were directed against Ottoman, uh, failed. Okay, right. So it's really about a key moment in history that we saw yeah. the big change. And I mean, I recently saw this wonderful video that's on YouTube. Probably wasn't entirely accurate, but it shows the development of Europe from. You know, I think um, one AD to present day, and uh, it's quite fascinating to see a lot of nations in that time are nothing. They're nothing like they are now. Nothing. Uh, it's yeah. only been five hundred years, and I do mean only because you've got to remember history goes back hundreds of thousands of years. And it was just you, know, so you see, Italy was this collection of what I see city states for centuries. <laughs> It was. It took them ages to go. Actually, you know, we're actually one country. Yeah, you are. Uh, whereas, if you look at England, for example, and, and Sweden, and that sort of stuff, they were like that for millennia. <laughs> it was just like, yep, we're still like this. We're not broken up. 
So, yeah, fascinating yeah. that you focused on that. And again, why did you stop just at Napoleonic in it? Any particular reason? Uh, because after the Napoleonic era, there's a large period of, uh, uh, what's it called? Completely different uh, underlying mechanics in how the world works. Well, we're leading up to the First World War, aren't you? Yeah. But it's That's... more like the, it's like all these political ideologies come in, in that time period. Uh, the industrialization, lots of technology oh, yeah. advancements. It's a completely different uh, world. Yeah, Industrial Revolution. Oh, yeah. And the Enlightenment, of course. Um, which means your religion thing gets a bit different. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's so that's a great time period. Just, I just wanted to expand on, say why you did it, why you, why you focused on on that unique segment of time, um, which is you know, core to where we are, why we are the way we are now. <laughs> uh, without without that, that that time in history, or that those series of events, which then. Uh, I want to ask you about Crusader Kings 2 there's a relevance to this because I understand that there's a kind of a link between that game and Europa Universalis um, 4 could you tell us about that why you did that oh <laughs> why well see it's a good idea just to expand on what it is because I don't know much I don't know much about it but because I've only ever played Europa but Understand that if you do a save on Crusader Kings 2, you can import it into. Is that right? Am I just being yeah. wrong? Yeah. It, it basically, when you export in Crusader Kings, when you when you want to, it creates a, what's it called a, a a big user mod that you can select when you play your Monosolis, and the game is completely different. It it creates the world out of how how they ended in the Crusader Kings game. So you just continue, and if you have weird different countries from Crusader Kings, they are the same than in Europe and Solis. So, now that, that period is set way, is, is like in the medieval times, isn't it? Uh, well, the Crusades, yeah. Crusades, basically. Yeah, it's from eight, with the expansions there, it's from 867 to 1453. Right, so you've got that little bit of overlap. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that someone could start their nation in Crusader Kings and from the 1800s or 1800s to actually have a, a, a nation that spans a thousand years? Yeah, almost. Yeah. Almost. They're missing like 45 years or something. Yeah. And have, have people done that? Yeah, lots of people do. Right. And how is that? I mean, have you done it? And clearly, you tested it. I mean, are we talking about two separate development teams, or the the uh, same development teams that work in, on this game? In the studio, we currently have uh, five development teams, and there's a bunch of common resources. Uh, we're close to forty people now, and each development team is about three to five people. Then we have a bunch of artists, some QA, designer, engine team. And some other misc resources can't remember exactly right now. And the Crusader Kings team is currently three different people, and the EU4 team is four people. Wow! Yeah, four people, including yeah, four people. Do you outsource a lot of your art and that sort of stuff? No, no, no. We also have an art team, but that's uh, four people that right. uh, do all the art. 
for all the games. Because it looks stunning. And that's one of the things yeah. I wanted to share with you. It just looks the quality and which is one of my points at the very end of this this interview is that yeah, the quality of the games over the years have become better and better and better. And I do think you're reaching um extraordinary levels now. Uh, and uh Thank you. It's 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 been an interesting road to see uh, progress because I've been playing these games for years and uh, to see uh, to see it reach a, a more broad audience is, is fantastic. But I want to talk about something a little bit politically sensitive, and I just want to ask how you dealt with it. If indeed you have, how do you deal with the European invasion of new, the New World based on this expansion? Because it wasn't particularly pleasant, was it? Well, the the funny and interesting thing about all of this is that the amount of natives killed by Europeans during the this year or this time period uh, fits in like in actual wars and conquests and uh, people being forced to move and so on. Yeah. It fits in like less than a percent of the amount of Europeans that were killed by Europeans fighting Europeans in Europe. That's true. So it's kind of like, well, that's not really that different. I mean, there's there was, was this like war called Thirty Years' War in Germany. Yeah, and of course, it, uh, half yeah. the population of Germany were killed during twenty five years. Or, wow! So, and there's yeah. like pe- people usually bring up about the oh the conquests and so. Overseas mm. and I just have to bring this up because I want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just find it <laughs> interesting. People, yeah, and I'm not talking about just this interview, but more like when people are discussing like the evils of uh, imperialism or conquest. It's like, yes, it was evil, but nobody's mentioning the evils of pure war. No, I mean, speaking as a British person. We spend yeah. our most fifty years, past fifty years now, apologising. Yeah, we're really sorry. <laughs> and to this day, we're still dealing with the legacy of what we left behind, uh, what we did, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you know that's why it's, it's an interesting cultural thing because it's it's all about um, how we've uh, changed as a people and also as as the, as the world has changed as well. But it's just something I've always in, intrigued by because there's, there's a board game I play called Archipelago, which is about exploiting native populations. <laughs> it's just, oh, you know. And which leads me on to, to my next question. I mean, um, do, do you get influenced at all by, by tabletop games? Because I noticed the rise of tabletop games. I play a lot now. I never used to about four or four years ago, but I play a lot now. What about yourself and your teams over there? Do you do you play much? Uh, I know there's a lot of people on the teams that play board games, but I haven't really done it in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I got a kid a few years ago, and oh yeah, new house, etc., and all of these things. <laughs> it's like I can't remember the last time I had time to play board games with my mates. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh yeah, that that'll do it. Give it a few years, so you'll be playing with your kid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, it's just the reason I mention it's because there seems to be lots of things in Europa games that remind me a lot of the games I'm playing. Like I'm playing yeah, Nations, I mean, for example, that came out last year. It's really good, and there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, 
I mean, we. I mean, I used to play lots of board games as, as a youngster. I mean, I think I like had this huge collection of uh, uh, Avalon Hill board games. Wow! Yeah, and <laughs> I can't remember where they all are now, but <laughs> it's probably worth a lot of money now. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, if they were in a better condition. Oh, well, well played. That's what matters. No, uh, uh, board games worth more than when it's played a lot. That's what matters. It means people were yeah, you enjoyed it. My last point then, uh, and I just want to address this with you, and it's really objective because it's something that's always worried me when I introduce people to your games, and I say games plural uh, as regards yeah. to paradox is historically, and I mean historically with a big capital H, is they weren't particularly approachable. No offense to yourself or your team or your colleagues. Um, and you, you need to have a certain mindset to be a lot of patience to actually get under the skin of them. Yeah. But over the past, I don't know, three, four years, you've changed that around. You've, you've decided, well, not decided, but you've actively made your games more approachable. How has that been internally for, for you? Has it been, uh, has that been, was that something you set out to do or has it just evolved over time? Yeah, well, I don't think it's one answer. It's no. more like we always wanted to make it better and like it spending more time iterating on interfaces makes them easier to understand, I guess. And we, we've gotten better over time because we learned a few things. And how have you done that? Is it feedback from people playing it? You playing yeah. it? All of the above? Yeah, all of the above, like smoke tests and uh, like different... Uh, and analyzing how people behave when they're trying the game for the first time, all those things. And what was the big change? What was the game? Do you think it was Crusader Kings that did it? The yeah, Kings? Crusader Kings, because we spent six more months on it than we usually did, and we learned a lot of things there. Right. And it was just basically getting rid of the clutter. That was my, my sorry. That was just my, my thing, the big thing that pops out for me for the latest Europa game was definitely, look, I can see what's going on. It's just, it's, the, the interface is so, so much better. And uh, it looks glorious for it. And it actually makes the game shine more than, than previous titles. So well done. Yeah. Um, that's, that's imp- it is important because it's really feeding so much information, isn't it? Because you are managing this empire from, from nothing to, well, not nothing, but from a starting point. To, yeah. uh, and to have all of that, Juggling what trade and you know political dramas and and your own military might and naval might as well um, is 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 hard. Yeah, mm. you did it. <laughs> so what what's the plans for, for the future then? For, are you going to do? Can you? I mean, yet more DLC because I mean the previous games. I'm looking at Steam now. Yeah, as as long as people keep buying, there's it's going to be like a a big expansion every three to four months, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. It's going to be like that for your Prince and Crusader Kings. Okay, so just to remind everyone, sign off with uh, where can you get it? What's it's it's full? It's a Windows game. No, it's not. It's Windows, Mac, and Linux, isn't it? Yes. It's for all three different uh, platforms there. Okay, and so, it should be on Steam, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Steam, but it's also on. Um, 
Gamesgate, isn't it? And um, there's a lot of everyone, pretty much everyone that sells Steam keys sells it. And yeah, and you also do sell hard copies as well. People, your, your disc copies, they, they do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they are basically Steam wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I don't understand people that want to buy something on on disc these days. It's like, is there anyone that has anything else on these than basically small little like that auto starts the game with the with the key code? Yeah, it's bit... there's like there's hardly anything on the discs because you have to ship the print like six seven weeks before it's released. So you can't oh, right. put the latest GM, so people have to patch and download anyway. So Wow, that's that's in, that's interesting. Because you and I grew up at a time when the concept of patching was well weird. We didn't yeah. uh, when it happened, I think I think uh, I can't remember anything Sensible on... Soccer. There was a problem with Sensible Soccer. <laughs> and they released it and then, Oh yeah, there's a problem with it. We need to well, Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> it's bugged. You've released a there's nothing we yeah. can't fix this. So they released like a ninety-seven, ninety-eight edition. I seem to remember that they did they had to re-release it again. No, it's ninety-three, ninety-four, something like that. Yeah. To say, oh look, this is a world, you know, World Cup edition. You mean you fixed it? No, you fixed it, didn't you? <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was. But you know, now when you buy a game, with you and I grew up at a time when you buy a game, you bought a disc and you put it in. But now it's no, you sit there and you, you on on your couch and go, oh, I'll have that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, you know, it's it's people also truck around thinking they own the game. Actually, in reality, you know, you know this as a developer more than anyone else. They don't own, they own a license to play the game? They own a license to play yes. the game. They don't actually own the game itself. No, because I don't think anyone actually own. Well, technically, it's somewhere that some company actually, the developer company or publisher actually owns the game. Yeah. But yeah. the interesting thing is, like, when we were talking about that, I was remembering uh, paying a lot of money at release date for Frontier, the Elite sequel. Oh, God, yeah. And it was buggy. Oh, God, yes, it was bad. Yeah, and I was like, back in those days, there was no patches. It was more like, nope, I'm not going to buy any more games from those people. Yeah, yeah, and it was bad. And David Braben was like, yep, it was terrible. Yeah, a terrible time. Terrible. Yeah. I had that on him. It was a good game, though, when you got it to work. Yeah. It used real physics. Uh, well, Newtonian physics, anyway. Whether that's right or not, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, great chatting to you. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, like I said, we really, really, really appreciate. Best of, oh, excuse me. Best of luck with um, future endeavours. No doubt five will appear, hopefully. Maybe um, someday. Maybe someday. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you have you announced anything new? Not regarding, or maybe you don't want to. But no, no, no. Sorry, uh, no. It's too, uh, it's too early in the I year. Only an, I only announce stuff when PR says we announce the stuff. Indeed, that's right. That's why it should be. I'm afraid in these yeah. times, everything's so secret now. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm just so um, yeah. Thanks very much for your thank you time. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. You can find us on Stitcher now, so you just go to stitcher.com and use the application and just look up the Sausage Factory and you'll find us there. So if you want to stream the podcast from Stitcher, by all means do so. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, all one word, and also you can email 
me if you want to ask about potential studios that wanted to interview or give feedback about what you've had listened to so far then you can send an email to tsf at spong.com thanks for listening bye Thank <laughs> you.